Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we've been up to recently, all the stuff we're reviewing, all the gear we've been testing, and a whole lot more good stuff over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week is Ed Masters, who is making his return to the show to do a bit of a recap of his rather successful 2022 race season. And in addition to just recapping some of the highlights from the year, both of Ed's and just some of the best moments of racing that we remembered from the season, we also get into it about the preparation and mental approach that's required to be a professional racer and ed's got some really interesting thoughts on managing calculated risk and just his mental approach to racing and a lot more and along the way he also tells one of the wildest funniest stories from a race run mishap that i can remember i won't spoil it here but it's pretty great i was absolutely dying when we were recording it so you've got that to look forward to as well but before we get into it i do want to take just a moment to encourage you to check out our new blister plus spot insurance membership tier now if you're not familiar with spot insurance it is a supplemental injury insurance to cover you if you hurt yourself biking or skiing or doing a fairly lengthy list of other outdoor activities that most of the folks listening to this will probably be doing themselves. And while it's not, strictly speaking, a substitute for health insurance, the thing that sets Spot apart is that it's got no deductible, so even if you do have good health insurance and you go hurt yourself on a bike or skiing or whatever it might be, you're pretty likely facing a significant bill up until you meet your deductible or out-of-pocket maximum, however your insurance is structured, and spots there to cover that. So not only has it got the potential to save you a lot of money should you get hurt, I think one of the exciting things too is that it takes a lot of the financial pressure off of figuring out if you should go get treatment in the event of something that's maybe a little more minor seeming where you are a bit on the fence as to whether or not it's worth going to get that x-ray or do some PT or whatever you might need in order to get yourself squared away. Spot's there for that. So there's a link in the show notes. Check it out. We think this is a very exciting development and something that a whole lot of folks out there should have. So check it out in the show notes and let us know what you think in the comments. Now, with that, let's get right to my conversation with the one and only Ed Masters. Ed, great to sit down and chat again. How are you doing and where are you these days? No, thank you for having me back, Dave. Um, like I said previously, uh, sorry for <laughs> taking a few emails back and forth uh, to get this done. But I'm actually in Phoenix at the Pivot headquarters right now and um, managed to find a couple of hours free in our busy schedule that uh, the lovely ladies at Pivot have put together for us. Um, but yeah, just over here. Uh, visiting the new factory, um, I came over when I first signed with Pivot five years ago, um, and it's pretty impressive to see the growth that's gone on. Um, but yeah, we've just got the whole team here doing some writing, meeting all the staff, um, and yeah, enjoying a bit of a break. I've been enjoying a bit of a break from bikes for the last couple of months, which I think um, 
is healthy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to overdose on two wheels. Yeah, a little bit of downtime does one good, especially after what I think could quite readily be described as an awfully busy last season for you with EWS and World Cup circuits, as we'll get into here. You've been up to a lot, so... Uh, yeah, and just like some 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 years are like easier than others, and but like it seemed like this season just gone. Um, well, for me, it was like the first season I'd finished in with COVID and stuff, and like not picking up any injuries midway through. Um, you forget how much how much back and forth it is. Um, so we did a lot of traveling, uh, and that's it's not the actual like riding of racing of the bikes that tire you out. It's the non-stop moving um so when i got home i was actually pretty worn out um so it's been nice to just recharge the batteries um and it's also like kind of cool when you like when you take a break for a month six weeks whatever um and then you still start yearning for it and wanting it that it's a good sign that you're still (laughs) you're still into it (laughs) Yeah, if uh, I think when that feeling fades, maybe it's time to you know. But I'm still still 100 percent into it and still on pink bike every morning and <laughs> doing like nerding out. So um, yeah, no, nah, in a pretty good place. Oh, that's good to hear. And uh, little breaks good sometimes. Like from my end of it, just been so flat out over the summer and into the fall, kind of just testing bikes and doing my thing over here and kind of hadn't really been thinking about ski season turning up or thinking about that being on the horizon just was so head down with with bikes and then all of a sudden the flip switch and started snowing a ton up here and uh briefly sort of shut down mountain biking we're kind of starting to reach the more normal equilibrium where some of the lower trails are melted out there's snow up higher to ski on but just little weak break of getting on skis and sliding around rather than riding a bike damn near every day uh has been a nice little reset so definitely see where you're coming from on that yeah like variety is the spice of life i think they say so and like when i say i take a break i just like ride moto and (laughs) yeah did a bit of skiing yeah um but yeah it's all yeah it's it's all good stuff so no pretty yeah, just just stoked. It's been a busy year, but uh, yeah, enjoyed every minute of it. I reckon. No bad days. It's a good way to be, and yeah. like you said, sort of especially after your twenty twenty one season, which I think it's fair to say didn't exactly go to plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. just, I'm sure, nice to have one that all kind of came together and that you stayed healthy through, and uh, so. On that note, I mean, let's kind of do a little bit of a rundown here because it had some great results on both the DH and Enduro bikes and uh, kind of take us through how 2022 went for you. Yeah, well, like you just said, um, I said, I'm not like much of like a goal setter. Um, you know, I kind of always in the past have kind of like struggled when I've like get any kind of expectation uh so and it's probably like i'm sure there'd be like a sports scientist that would tell you like you 
should do all this or whatever. But but this year I like I had three goals. <laughs> well, main first and foremost was like finish the season. That was you know all things aside, I was just you know having a few injury plagued seasons and then COVID and stuff. Um, I was like. You know, you you start thinking like oh, I'm not into this whole getting injured in August, <laughs> like it sucks. So it was that's the one thing I'm the most proud of um, is uh, getting through. You know, just having a, a full full year, um, and then the other two were uh, top twenty World Cup and get back on the podium at EWS. So I did both of those. So I was stoked. Um, pretty early on in the season, so like I was, there. Well, I didn't like reevaluate. I was just keen to carry on that trajectory. Um, and a couple of coulda, woulda, shouldas in the downhill, but um, yeah, just it was it was an awesome season. Like I, it's such like a, a treat, I guess, is to like be able to race and be at these races when the level's so high these days. Um, you know, like do your race run and then watch some of the most iconic runs in history that like, you know, every year these guys are like just raising the bar. So um, I just, from a fan and like nerding out, it's sick to like actually be in the keyhole. And when you've ridden the track, like watch to know what they're doing. Um and the rise of like Jackson and Jordan and stuff, it's been like, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, it was, it's was, it was been a sick year. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. Oh man. Like, and then, so like the couple of downhills that I wasn't at, um, tuning in, like watching Red Bull, watching Bernie smash it at snowshoe and stuff. Um, Man, it's just the it's like it is the last ten dudes. It's a sick show. If you weren't even into mountain biking, it's super exciting. Um, so hats off to anyone who's coming down on that live feed. Um, it's yeah, it's it's epic. Any particular runs that stand out to you from spectating and just going, what on earth? What were the top ones for you? Watching Finn Isles um, win in Mont Saint Anne, well, so me and Matt and a few others are lining up to go up for our pro stage race run in Whistler and watching Finn absolutely throw down. Like, I've kind of got goosebumps or, like, you know, spinning a shiver up my spine just thinking about it because uh, I just, the pressure. And like on home and the whole Stevie stuff. Yeah, um, that was so cool. I mean, just yeah, like people were crying. Like you know, um, it was that was like and being good friends with Finn and I know like how much that would mean to him. Like being your first one at home. Uh, yeah, that that's that'd be the standout run um, for the year. I I th- I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who would say otherwise yeah that was for sure going to be my answer too so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean. yeah yeah and i remember watching uh 2013 when stevie went on his charge and won the 
won his season and being at Monsignan, which is like, I think he went Monsignan half year yeah, old, three, right. three in a row. Yeah, and that was that was like the beginning of that run. Uh, so, and there was there's like so many parallels. Um, but yeah, awesome. <laughs> so big up for, um, yeah, I think he got everyone's blood pumping that day. So it was sick. And if and if and if you people <laughs> yeah. cutting onions, myself included on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, R.I.P. Stevie, he would be proud. Yeah, that just the combination of him getting that first win, doing it in Canada, and just how absolutely pinned that run was, was all super, super cool. But just when he went green at the first one, I was like, God! <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, but me and Matt were like, Watching on our phone, on the phone, in the line, like there's hundreds of people around, and we're just like screaming at the phone. So, um, yeah, yeah, couldn't be there, but we were trying to, you know, let them know we were, you know, like <laughs> yeah, making some doing noise. your part. And it sounds like just yeah. a fun environment to be watching in, too. too mm, you guys getting exactly. ready to go do your own race runs and yeah. getting fired up with that. So, yeah, mm, and we were, it was cool. It was like, Quite ironic that we're doing the eleven ninety like we were racing on the eleven ninety nine, the Stevie Smith Memorial track that they'd built. So like hmm. it definitely um set the tone for the day, the week. Yeah, it was cool. Other than that, Bernie's run and snowshoe. Um that was pretty damn cool. Our Marie just had to ruin the party. <laughs> Yeah, I think like in that situation and knowing Bernard, um, you know, second's a better result, but third might have almost been easier to take. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, like, it's like, yeah, because you're like, you know, second you've got one hand on the trophy. <laughs> you know, third you're not even touching it. So, um, but definitely. Just cool to see the hard work pay off. And, um, you know, everyone always says, like, oh, this guy's the busiest man. or and But, like, Bernard Kerr actually is the busiest man in um, world downhill. And to be able to um, walk away with, like, a top five overall is pretty damn impressive when you know what goes on behind the scenes. Um I think he's got some crazy like DNA where he doesn't need to sleep as much to recover because <laughs> he's never tired and he's always up first and up late. So, yeah. Some people have it. I don't know what it's called, but I, I, reckon, he, I reckon he's got it. The only time he's um, tired is if he's hung over and he doesn't really drink much. So, <laughs> you, don't really, you don't really see it. Um, so, like, I'm always pretty – it's very impressive, like – I don't know, the part, the juggling that he does. Yeah, I mean, both running the team and racing has to be just a whole other level of time commitment. Like, And just like little stuff like, well, so like he's like, he's vlogging. <laughs> um, he's vlogging, he's running a team. He's like put it, having to like 
micromanage all these idiots like us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, yeah, even just finishing on a Sunday and writing a race report for the sponsors on a Monday, it's like there's a lot of, Android, you know, like keeping keeping the circus like moving. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think people under, really understand what it takes to uh, keep all the wheels moving. So, um, yeah, shout out to Bernie. It doesn't go unnoticed. <laughs> We've talked to a bunch of folks on here who've kind of made the move from either from racing on a factory team to making the leap to being a privateer or vice versa and kind of about that transition and just how much more goes into running your own program as a one-off privateer and then like you said managing a whole team with a the big roster of athletes that you've got just got to be exponentially more complex than that even and kind of don't really know how he pulls it off and just sort of stay on him for a minute though like the end of the season that he had was unbelievable like he'd been riding well and looking good much of the season but then closing out with what was it so yeah, second at snowshoe and then fifth at both monsignan and valdesol if i have it right and any insights onto kind of where that extra gear came from late in the year where did he pull that from like if you asked him and like being a racer myself, it's just, it's like momentum, put a groundswell. Yeah. Just, uh, it's that 1% or like half a percent in confidence that gives you, you know, it takes you from 10th to 5th or something. And then it rolls and it rolls. Um, and that's not something that like you can just tap into. It's, it just, I guess it just happens. Um, and I, I guess that's also like what it's the the fine line between what makes these guys like a top racer, and then you go into like legend status, where like because um, you look at like someone like Troy, super consistent to find the podium every week, but maybe I think two wins. <laughs> and this is Troy Brosnan, um, but then you've got someone like Armory who can win four races in a year. Um, and yeah, it's just that it's that tiny, you know, minute bit that is confidence. It's the dick swinging, <laughs> you know, like I'm here to win. Um, and like being able to like retrospectively look at like myself and my career is like, like I've, I'm like not really like that. I just go there and try my best. Um, and sometimes I wish I had that, you know, the, you know, turn up to a race, I'm here to win, <laughs> but I turn up to a race, I'm here to race. It's like, it's, it's, it's slightly different. Obviously you are trying to win, but then there are maybe, there's maybe three people where every race were there to win. I'm stoked if I get wherever I finish, as long as I've like, done my best but those guys who are there to win aren't stoked with anything except top step and i think that that is like yeah that's what makes the <laughs> that's what makes the difference that makes sense and like the margins are just so tight 
at up at the pointy end there that like kind of like you said the difference between winning and 10th really isn't much like no it's tiny and the person who comes 10th like i'm sure if you ask most of them they'll be like they can count back where they lost it (laughs) you know like be like if i smashed this turn a little bit harder or didn't break or like didn't like slightly wash out carried speed into that section you know you find that 1.5 seconds and you've won the race but like you can only do that retrospectively <laughs> afterwards. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, and, and there are just, there are so many individual moments over the course of a race that have the potential to be that one and a half seconds. And like putting them all together is hard. Like you can say, oh yeah, that was the one thing that didn't quite come right. But you know, most people are going to make one of those mistakes somewhere in the run. And it doesn't have to be in the run. It could be in practice. You might crash in the rock garden and then you're not 100% committed because you've got this little bit of fear, <laughs> you know? And then that might come back and that might be one second and you're like, oh, should have yoloed it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... But I know, like, Bernie's a pretty confident guy and from Snowshoe, like, I think... Like, I wasn't there, but... Uh, I think he won time training. Um, purposefully didn't want to quali fastest in fine in quali, and was there to win the race. Didn't want to qualify <laughs> fastest yeah. just so that he didn't have to go last. And, or what was his thinking on that? I guess just didn't want to go last. Um, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, did. And also, like, um, I think, like, mentally, it's probably, eat, like, if you save this tiny little bit and then the guys only beat you by a second, you're like, sweet, I'm actually in the driver's seat. But if you quality fastest, uh, you know, like, you don't know if mm-hmm. someone else has done that to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so there's, yeah, a lot of tactics. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And a but a cool a cool a cool position to be in. Try to figure that out and gain it where you want to be, I guess. And like when I say like I mean we're only talking like you know, like hard hard piddling to the finish or something, but like yeah, you just you know you haven't done done the hundred percent, you've done ninety five. Um, which you can take that into the final run. Um because like downhill racing, more so than enduro, is like any time run you get on track, you can improve on. So um, you really just want to like make sure that last run's the fastest. Like leave nothing out, nothing to the imagination. Just yeah, all out. But so you, and I, I know Bernie in the past, qualifying for or he's one time training heaps, and um. Sometimes that can be like his undoing <laughs> is getting complacent by like going fast too early in the week. So like if you think of speed as like an exponential curve, you want to keep that curve going on a steep upward trajectory. So like have it go, have it a bit mellower at the start 
um, rather, but then I, I've I've just noticed, and like we've kind of talked about it, but like I'm not really in a position to give any advice on this kind of stuff, and I've never would with like racing because like there's so many different ways to skin a cat. But I just think that um, yeah, going too fast early in the week, you can get complacent, or yeah, yeah, you just you're like yo, I'm on fire, and then by the time finals comes around, everyone's caught up to speed and has almost like surpassed you, whereas you've been chilling. You've been linear and everyone's gone progressive. Right. And I can imagine, too, that if you're kind of building up speed over the course of the week and ramping up to it, there's potentially kind of a confidence boost that comes with that where you feel like, yeah, I'm going faster. Like this is coming together mm. versus put it all out yeah. there in time training and don't really have the headroom to keep turning it up. And I don't know. For me, I can like, it just feels like you're, yeah. for my considerably less illustrious racing days, like just it's hard to kind of, you want to come into the race day feeling like you're, improving and going faster and have this like on the moment for it i don't know and like these top dudes aren't like superhuman like they are scared (laughs) yeah so there's only there's only so many times you want to throw your hat in the you know (laughs) so pick pick your battles wisely and it's best to do it in finals not in time training Especially when, like, yeah, like, you look at, watch, like, yeah, like, in Andorra, there was, like, those stump gaps, and, um, you know, like, super sketchy, big crashes, and then loads of dudes not jumping them in finals and not even going slower. <laughs> like, they're not, it's not worth the risk. Um, but, yeah, but then... I'm there and I'm like, I'm not jumping it in time, like practice quality. I'm just jumping it on race day. And then you're like, actually, I should have been like not jumping it on race day because then like I'm getting super sketchy jumping this sketchy gap thinking I have to when the, then you get to watch the live feed and loads of people aren't jumping it and it's chill. It's not, they're, they're like up at split two, up at split three. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe you – held that one together but it looked so bad on the, the, the race <laughs> yeah, just like yeah yeah i lost my tooth yeah like uh so i actually like years ago got um punched in town and uh damaged a bunch of my front teeth and um so like slowly over the past two years i've been getting them fixed because i had to wear these like retainer plates uh, basically like fake teeth like an old man and um so i had the um bottom one and i just wear i just would wear the plate and i actually got so sketchy on that stump gap and swapped out so aggressively that my tongue hit the plate and i lost the tooth that came out of my mouth in the race run and then i proceeded to just get sketchy after that because I was just like, I was like, what do I do? This like thinking. So like all my concentration went, went into uh, 
what do I do about this tooth? And then I'm like getting sketchy down these shoots. And the funny thing is, is like the tooth had fallen out and was caught in the like front of my helmet. So I'm kind of like going cross-eyed and looking down whilst in my race run. And then all of a sudden the next bit, I like you go across this bridge and I'm like, fuck, fuck, what do I do? Do I like stop, sacrifice my race run and save my tooth or do I keep going? And like, just as that thought crosses my mind, the tooth falls out and it's the dustiest track of the year. Like there's no way I'm finding that thing again. Um, and yeah, so like right now I've just got like a missing tooth on my bottom bar. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, such a good yarn. And then like I come through, obviously like my eyeballs are like dinner plates because I've just had the yeah. sketchiest race run of the season for me. And uh, like... Bernie's vlogging. I'm like, I lost my tooth. <laughs> so yeah, you 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 haven't really swapped hard until you've swapped hard and lost a tooth. Yeah, that is an entirely new level. I'm not sure if it's one that I'm going to aspire to. I can, I'll try to keep it just a notch or two short of that. I think, but yeah. So like, still cracks me up just like thinking about it because I just like I, you know, I can replay the whole thirty seconds of like the swap, the tooth falling out, the getting caught in the like chin piece of my helmet, like yeah. seriously going cross-eyed to look down into my helmet whilst in a World Cup race run on the live feed and I'm like, and then everyone's like, you were so sketchy and I was like, yeah, I was sketchy on the stump yet. and after that I wasn't even like concentrating because I was looking at my tooth. Oh, man. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's pretty good. Good yarn, I reckon. To kind of bring it back around to something that you – mentioned earlier you talked about having one of your goals going into last year to be to finish the season and stay in one piece and almost didn't do it then (laughs) it all worked out but i guess just be curious to hear a little bit about kind of what trying to achieve that goal really looks like because kind of in what ways did you change your preparation or approach or whatever it is that you might've been doing in order to try to actually, you know, keep it together while still putting down good results and going fast. How do you strike that balance? Yeah, pretty, like it would be hard to like say, but but like it was just like, it was just a goal. So it's like conscientious, you know, Um, but it's not like you ever like plan on waxing yourself. and like like we were saying, like with there's you know I, there's so many crashes that you have during a season. Like anyone could wipe you out. It's just like often it's luck. But um, I don't know. Just building the momentum and then not getting too far ahead of yourself. So like yeah, you don't like um, yeah, like in, in the enduro season. Like I started out with eighth at um uh in Lathan, and I was like stoked with that because the year before I'd been struggling a little bit um and then I had a healthy off season so I think the catalyst for like change or like upsweeping the results was just bike time um getting super comfy on my setup it was cool to have my like regular mechanic Kurt back just felt like got the gang back together. Um, so like yeah, just build building that, and then the next race we went back to like Petson, 
um, and st- was stoked to be back there because we were doing like big mountain enduro, 15-minute stage, 13-minute stage. Like you haven't had arm pump until you race the 15-minute stage at Pets and it's gnarly. It's like you did, thousand, I think, 1,100 meters descending um, and it's loamy and rough. <laughs> it's like the sickest stuff ever but man it is physical um and was stoked like won the last stage the long one um and got picked up fourth there so i was like you know just but that's where you start that's where i started thinking like yeah you want a stage and stuff but just like let's just keep it in your pants like <laughs> don't you know like that that's when you kind of like at least try and draw on like maturity, whatever that is. Cause I don't have much of it, but like, <laughs> um, just, yeah, like I'm not going to Canada to like win every stage. I'm just, I'm rather complete, you know, uh, I think that like, just, just thinking along those lines, um, when, the younger version of me might have just been like YOLO. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but like, I think in in this game, um, injuries, like, yeah, you crash, you crash, but sometimes like you pick them up from like it's there's an element of luck or being unlucky involved. Um, so yeah, but just. Uh, I don't know. Stoked to stoked, stoked to get a full season under the belt. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see it happen. Yeah, like so, like I was saying with like Bernie, or like just like the confidence and stuff. Just like, just roll with that momentum. Don't force it. Don't like just let it push you along rather than uh, trying to get ahead of it. If you know, if you're thinking like of something that's like the driving force of you know, and up sweeping results or like doing well, just don't change anything, just go with the flow. Yeah. Because um, there is such thing as going too fast. <laughs> yeah. and that's dangerous. You, don't, you, you, you can't do that all the time. Sure. I mean, sort of just a game of calculated risk to a point. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like we were saying with the guys who are like doing the, you know, like, the sketchy gaps and like dudes who are winning the race sometimes they're not doing the sketchy gaps they're winning the race it's like they're not willing to like risk that not finishing the run um for what might be this tiny marginal gain right yeah i mean maybe it's a little faster but you know there's a 15 percent chance it ends with a DNF, like, you know, is that worth it? I don't know. Yeah. You got to just have to yeah, decide exactly. which ones are worth taking that roll of dice on and which ones aren't. And, and in Enduro, you're like, I I kind of like doing this. Like, if there's gaps and stuff, I'm keen to do them because um, I don't have to do them heaps. <laughs> like, I only do one run down the track from practice and then I do it in finals. It's sweet. I'm like, but there'll be gaps that you do in enduro that I wouldn't be keen to do 10 times if it was a downhill race because that's sketchy, but it's kind of, 
with it being like a long game, um, the calculated risk is it's like a different calculation because you actually you're more like comfortable taking like that that risk because the um, the loss isn't as gnarly because like you're racing for forty minutes. Whereas when you're racing for three minutes, a crash that completely ruins your weekend. But like you might, a crash doesn't necessarily ruin your weekend in enduro. You can still come back for it and ride a good race. So the the way that you calculate those risks is, is a completely different. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, I mean, I guess both from the perspective that like you said, you just got more time in an enduro race. So you crash and lose five seconds or whatever it is that's recoverable. But also, I guess, like when you're talking about going for a gap in an enduro race that you wouldn't want to go hit 10 times in a DH1 with practice and quality and all the rest, like, are you thinking about that more from the perspective just that if you're hitting it 10 times, that's just increasing the odds that one of them's going to go wrong or is there like an element too of just sort of not wanting to kind of overthink it and have it in your head a little bit if you've kind of keep lapping it and keep going for the same thing or how's that all fitting together um yeah just just like it's funny like in enduro you might like I, I like religiously watch GoPro like if if you finish practice, me and Matt, we just sit there and we're just watching GoPro like over and over and over to the point where I can almost like visualize the whole run uh, in my head just from like watching it. But like I'll see stuff in the GoPro that I missed that I like rolled through and I'll be like, oh, I can jump that. And then I'll like watch it and watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And then in the race, I'll jump it. So I've like never even practiced it. Um, but it's, it makes you feel sick because you're like you're you're ticking all the boxes you're doing you know like gapping stuff that you might know other people might not be gapping or you've seen it in their video and they've gapped it and then you're like okay sweet i've got to gap it um but you might not want to do that <laughs> i wouldn't want to do like these gaps like every time um but you feel like you're really racing uh yeah and then other times you're like man, that's sketchy. I'm just going to roll that because I'm happy to give up the three seconds going around it or rolling through it than crash hard. Um, yeah, but yeah, just um, sometimes sketchy. It's sketchy once. You did it once, but you're like, it's going to be sketchy, sketchy crash if you did it three times. Um yeah, but I, I, it's just like, yeah, I really enjoy an enduro when you like gap stuff and do some cool lines um, because it G's you up. You're like, you're frothing when you're on the bike. And if you feel good and having fun on the bike, then it generally translates to like riding well. Right, okay. I like that. Whereas like at a downhill race, I have to do those gaps. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I feel like you can't afford to like give up that time. 
you don't have a choice. So even if you're like a little bit sketched out about it, you've got to like, yeah, I feel like you're there to race. You have to ride the whole course as it, like, obviously, yeah, there's sometimes like it, it turns out that gapping stuff might not be as quick, but like you feel like when you watch like these guys doing them, the top boys, you're like, well, if I want to bang bars with them, I've got to do the whole crack. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And challenge, I'm sure. So, I mean, you've already kind of talked a bit about enjoying some downtime here and off in Arizona at the moment. But at this point, are you really looking forward? And not in terms of like excitement level necessarily, but more just thinking about the 2023 season and plans or goals or anything yet or is that kind of far enough off that you're not uh quite there yet um yeah like i was saying like not i'm like not a huge goal setter um but i had a good really good enduro season um last year like pretty consistent um if i could like emulate that and just keep improving like that's why I find it hard to like set like goals in terms of results because like every year the field gets deeper. Um, there's really good guys, so like I'm not gonna get like butt hurt if a young Casper Woolley or Jack Menzies beat me beats me. I'm just stoked to like be racing with them because they're like they're the next generation coming through and like um, you know they're wanting to beat me, so like. You know, fair play when it, when they do. I'm stoked for them. I'm just like, if it's a tight race, sick. But like, if that means the year before I came fifth and this this year I came sixth, like, at least you're you're still up there. So I'm just like, there's definitely. I just would like, all you can try and do is improve. You know, um, and sometimes improvement might not necessarily mean like you improve in your results, but like if you're improving as a rider, as like a person, like, you know, a student of the sport, like it's pretty, that's all I can like expect or like, and like you should want to. So like that might be like physically, you know, mentally or like, yeah. But like my big thing is like, like I'm not, I just want to like always keep enjoying it. And when I stop enjoying it, then maybe it's time to like do something else, but um, still, like I'm still froth. I would like grow them out hard. So yeah. And then next year I'm like, I'm pretty keen on um, putting a bit of like my resources and time and in, into the downhill bike. Um, whereas I think last year I, the balance and was heavy on the enduro. Um, and so like this off season, Bernie's coming back to Queenstown, um, you know, like try to get a good off season going on the downhill bike and hit the ground. Um, be interesting to see how the new format goes with the new guys, ESO, but like, um, I want to rep, <laughs> I want to rep like, you know, rep hard. So if, uh, you've got a quality in the top 30 to be on the, in the show, then, um, you know, I'm, that's like a realistic thing for me to like, I think I could like regularly be there. So 
pretty keen to like put some effort into that basket this season. Um, yeah, and it's not something like I'm not going to be able to race downhill forever. So, um, yeah, like I think the shelf life in enduro for me is like maybe a bit longer than it would be for downhill. So, um, enjoy having a crack for for a couple more years. Yeah, that all makes sense. Kind of on the subject of ESO and the new format for downhill, kind of any general thoughts on that as far as what you think it means for the sport, how just feels from the perspective of the riders having to plan around the new change? I mean, without, without being like negative, no one knows anything. And I think that's been an absolute bullshit on their part is like, you can't like buy a business and tell and not let the employees know if they've got jobs on Monday <laughs> or what their job is. So, um, if ESO are listening, let us know what's going on, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, everyone wants to know. I think like if there was a blueprint on how to do a smooth transition, they have not done it. Um, yeah. Like, just let everyone know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, just as a um, spectator, the lack of clarity has been frustrating and I'm, it's only got to like, be totally. immensely higher when it's your livelihood too. And like, um, I like I know we're in safe hands because Chris Ball runs the EWS and like he's done a great job. Yeah, they've like kind of dropped the ball a bit in terms of like uh, total production, like for people being able to watch Enduro. I think like 2018, 17, 19 were like really good with the show um and that's kind of dropped off a bit but like they are super busy there's but they're like participation and everything's like way up it's sick like people still really enjoy it um it's in a healthy place and i'm like oh sweet like they are they're taking over downhill it's gonna be cool like they'll be able to pull all these resources bringing cross-country downhill and enduro under one one umbrella um, you know, they take Enduro to like all these sick places. So like hopefully that comes back into downhill because it'd be pretty cool to put the world back into the World Cup. <laughs> like at the moment, it's the European Cup plus America, Canada for like dessert. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, far like tell everyone what's going on. Like, yeah, it's, it's bullshit. It's we're having this conversation on the 9th of December and like I wouldn't I can't tell I'm like we're I'm in the scene I've got my finger on the pulse like no idea what's what's happening next year so um hopefully for your sake my sake everyone will get some info soon um yeah yeah. here's to hoping yeah it's like you don't want to be like negative and like I was saying it's like I'd back the guys who have taken over because I know um, they do have the best interest for the sport. Like Chris Ball's like super experienced. He used to be the technical guy at the UCI. He knows how to run races, put on a good stuff. But like, I think just like at the moment, um, you know, the lack of transparency is a complete cop out because this is people's livelihood. There are young guys who are like, you don't want like guys to be disillusioned. And like, I think cutting the field to 30 or something like, a bit shit because like you're not actually achieving anything the race what people watch on tv is 30 anyway 
Um, so like, leave it at 60, let those 30 guys try and get into the top 30 for the show, but like the race can still be at 60. Like it's, you're not actually changing anything. Like no one's losing out. The only guys losing out are the riders and the industry. Like it's not motocross where there's four manufacturers. There's heaps of manufacturers. There's lots of bikes. Um, yeah, you're kind of just cutting, pulling the rug out on quite a few people. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of tend to agree. It's just having the field be that small too. Like, especially when there's not a super well organized like feeder series to work your way up into it, right? Like, you know, if you look at, I don't know, to say Formula One for an example, yeah, I mean, the field's small, but you've got this clear progression to working up there and there's just a much bigger void below world cup in the downhill race scene where you don't have the same opportunities to kind of step your way up to it. And like, and the, the race, the show is 30 now to just leave it as it is. And, but still let those other 30 guys race. Cause they're getting time on the track, you know, they're like, yeah, the competition. And then like, and the field is so deep that someone who comes 60th last weekend, they do have the opportunity. Like they, there are guys who come 60th and the next week and go 10th. It's not, it happens. (laughs) Ronan Dunn doesn't qualify at the start of the season, podiums, um, snowshoe, and then becomes a regular top 20 guy. And he wasn't qualifying at the first few races. So, so like, you're almost, like, I think by cutting the field, they're only, like, harming their product because you want these stories. Like, people love the underdog. Um, and our sport's, like, full of them. Yeah, I mean, full agreement from here. No, not going to get any argument from me. So <laughs> here's to hoping yeah. that that's not how things go. But... To bring it around to a little bit brighter note, perhaps, you touched on kind of just a bunch of the up-and-coming talent that's just out there in general, but wanted to chat a little bit about a couple of your teammates specifically. I mean, Jenna Hastings obviously had herself quite a year last year winning Junior World Champs, and that was awesome. But then uh, also I've got the recent signing of... Jacob Jewett, which pretty cool to see the gang growing and have him on board. So yeah. kind of any thoughts on the, uh, the young bloods coming up through the pivot team? Um, stoked to have Jake. Um, I think he's got a huge amount of potential and, um, I think I honestly reckon that he'll, he'll go really well because, and it, cause he'll be, he's like, we're backing him, you know, <laughs> like, it's not like he's – we didn't – like, Bertie didn't get him on the team to, like, you know, keep his seat warm. Like, that's his seat. Um, yeah, like, and that's what um, I think is really cool with Pivot is, like, you, you you always feel like you're there for a while, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's not – no one's, like, jumping ship or, like, after – a year or getting dropped. Um, and I feel like Jake at Canyon was like constantly 
fighting to keep his seat with like and maybe um that's like quite a lot of pressure and he's had some injuries and stuff um so you're always like i just think it's cool when a company like they bring you on and it's not like hey you're like you might ride for us next year let's see how you go like yeah um not really how we operate so i think um i think it'll go really well yeah he's like super talented on the like in terms of skills we've got everything we run on our bikes is mint like we've got all good sponsors we're not running anything sketchy so like the bikes are great um and everyone has fun so i think it'll be like a bit of a different dynamic to where to previous for jake so and i can just i can see it going pretty well for him so stoked and hopefully like um i know he'll get on well with bernie and bernie's like bernie's really good with how he manages like because he's a racer um he know like he's never going to come up to me and say what happened that's the worst thing you can say to someone like after a race like didn't go well i know what happened like i don't need to tell you like you know what happened it went shit so like you're like he's more along the lines of like oh we'll get it next weekend um because he's been in that boat and uh i can't i see like heaps of these teams and with these young guys and i'm like Wow, just because like you were a racer or your team manager just because you were a racer in the 90s and like this worked for you like it doesn't mean you need to like that's not necessarily going to work for like everyone. So like, you you need to be able to like read the room and like deal with deal with all the riders as people. Like, not not you're not a race like we're not race horses horses. Um, you you don't own someone. Uh, yeah. Just yeah, like be be good to like a guy, and then they'll that will like come through. Um, so yeah, and then like Jenna, she's sick. She like, because I didn't really like. Um, truth be told, like I hadn't uh, really hung out with Jenna much, um, and then she killed it at uh, Crankworks, and then kind of got the step up from the New Zealand distributor um, into the factory team. Bernie, I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, like cool, but I hadn't really hung out with her at all. I was just impressed by like how well she fitted or like because it's a pretty our team would be a pretty interesting dynamic just to come into as a 17 year old girl um (laughs) pretty ladsy like uh and a lot of like jokes and everyone you know we kind of like live our lives in a constant state of sarcasm um but yeah she you know within a week there was no walking on eggshells like she was giving it back to us just as just as hard as like we're giving her shit and now yeah now it's for it's good so yeah and like a lot of credit to emily for her like guidance and kind of being big sister um which i think has been like it's been so cool to watch and like drawing on that experience for jenna like setting up these processes in place that she'll like take through her with her whole career like that stuff took me years to figure out. Like, you know, Emily at Lords takes her to the top of the hill, shows her how to do a warm up. This is what we do. Like, we're on the track. Like, you come back from pits, we like check out videos. Like, 
you know, they work together really. It's like a full, it's a team effort. Um, and that would have been hard for like us to do just for, just with like, it's, it's pretty hard to like tell a 17 year old girl, oh, I do this line. Cause like often I would think that, that, that she'd be like, oh yeah, you, but it's so easy for you guys. But then like Emily, it's it just, it's just a little bit more relatable. Um, and it's sick for her because it's like she retired, but then she gets to carry on, you know. She's like still in the scene. She's she's become such like an important part of how our team operates. Um, so it's like she, yeah, she stopped racing, but she's just straight away and she's still there. Um, so, yeah. No, it was really, it's really cool. And then. It's just not. It's just nice to have like a bit of balance, like having some girls around. Um, everyone, it keeps everyone in check, makes the kitchen a bit cleaner. <laughs> like you know, everyone like you've got to. We can't just be dirt bags. Yeah, everyone. Everyone has to be a bit more accountable. Whereas, like in the past, yeah, you know, sometimes our accommodation is just like everyone just unloads their bags and stuff, but. Um, yeah, Emily in general, tell us what's up and sort out our shit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the bit in there about just the value of kind of continuity, both in being with the same team for a while and feeling like you have the stability to not be fighting for your seat at every moment has to just really go a long way confidence wise and, not having to be devoting all that mental energy to and just like yeah like like I, I just think it's like for a company and for a writer like what what's the point of giving someone a one-year contract like what are you, like you're just going to get rid of them or they're going to go somewhere else like there's no commitment um so like i it would be cool if the industry like picked up on that more you know, you're not, it's not a very, like, it's not a big vote of confidence <laughs> from both sides. Yeah, like, what if I was, if the shoe was on the other foot, and so, like, if I went to pivot and said, I just want to, like, I only want a one-year contract, they're going to be like, well, let's give you no contract because you're just going to leave. That's why you're asking for a one-year contract. <laughs> so... When it goes the other way, like, why would you give a writer a one-year contract? Because the writer's like, oh, you're probably just going to drop me after a year. Mm. So, I wish people understood that because it has a huge effect on someone's, like, mental. From a development perspective, too, for younger writers particularly, I'd imagine that just it takes a bit to find your footing. And a lot of the stuff, like, I mean, back to <laughs> hacking the field down to 30 riders too if that is in fact what's happening like just all of these host of things making it harder for someone to kind of come up and learn the ropes and figure yeah. it all out Massively. and you know they're you're gonna have your jacksons who can just show up and be on it at 18 right out of the gate but that's not gonna happen for everyone and there's just it feels like it's a system that's sort of designed to leave behind people who don't have it 
right out from day one, and I don't think that's serving anybody very well. No, like, I uh, completely agree with you. And, like, all these young guys, I'm like, like, Jackson, <laughs> Jackson is actually, Jackson, it's, like, he's so, he's an inspiration to these young fellas. But also, like, he's massive disillusion because uh, now people are like, oh, if I want to get sponsored or, like, be a pro, you need to be like Jackson because Jackson's like getting fastest time of the day and stuff and Junior winning all the races. Jordan's doing the same. They're like top fiving elite. Um, but you like I'm like trying to remind them I'm like you don't need to be everyone everyone is a everyone's slightly different and like you might hit that speed that Jackson's hitting when you're twenty five. So like it might take you seven more years to get there. But like don't think that you're not going to get there just because you're not, you know, just because your dot on the graph is, isn't where Jackson's was at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone's, everyone's different. So, um, yeah, if anyone is listening and you're not winning elite when you're 17, it's all good. <laughs> like, yeah. And there will be someone who's listening who, didn't win elite when they were 17, but they did win elite when they were 25. And they didn't give up. So, stick at it. And if you, even if you don't win elite when you're 25, and you come 60th, the seven years that you spent coming 60th would have been a good time. I like that. And I think that's probably a pretty good note for us to wrap up on here. So, thanks for the rundown. Been great chatting as always. And keep enjoying the time off and looking forward to watching racing 2023 when we get that fired back up again got a little bit to go here but it's gonna be fun really fired up for it and just appreciate you taking the time to chat again ed no no worries probably talk to you in december next year yeah (laughs) Yeah. wouldn't complain about that keep it rolling it's nice to like look back and reminisce a little bit and i think there's a lot of like good things that you know when you like think about your year and stuff um, that you otherwise wouldn't even it wouldn't even cross your mind if you didn't like sit down and do something like that so uh, thanks for having me it's been good and um, yeah cheers alright that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas and as always we would really appreciate you leaving a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to keep the show going and growing I also want to say thanks to Ed for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody, and happy holidays.